for our pastoral prayer time this morning. We want to pray for this summer's Ecuador mission trip. We've not been able to go since 2019 due to COVID, and this year we are back going and sending a group of 14 from our church. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for summer mission trips. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to be able to send people to a different context to see all the glories of how you're working in the world. God, we know that the Bible teaches us that you are faithful in God at iterations and that the gospel must be preached to all nations. And God, it is a wonderful thing for us to get out and to see how you're working in different places and how the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is being faithful to you in other places. God, this summer we have the opportunity to send a team from our church to Ecuador again. God, we ask your blessing on that trip We ask your blessing on the 14 people that will be going. We pray, God, over the next six weeks or however long it is that you would prepare their hearts, get the group ready, help them to feel that they have a message to share and a Christ worth living for. Prepare them to be able to go and love and serve. Father, we pray that we would find the the church there and we would be able to encourage them, support them, strengthen them, love on them, Build them up in the faith that they would keep trusting in Christ. God, we pray that people there would hear of Jesus and come to know Jesus. We pray that the mission would be advancing there. We pray, dear God, that you would build up and strengthen the camp there that we work with and the many, many people and campers that will come. Father, we pray for the logistics coming up, like flights and passports and COVID tests and all of those things. We pray that that would go smoothly, that you would help us to be able to get there. God, we pray that you would strengthen the church here, First Baptist Fairdale, as a supportive, sending church, praying for the individuals that are going, supporting the team, giving to the cause. God, we pray that for the people there and for us here, that you would remind us that you're the one true and living God, the big God over it all, and that your son Jesus is the Lord and Savior to the whole world, and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we pray, dear God, that you would remind us that there is only one Lord, one church, and one faith, and so that the believers for this world are our family, that we are a part of the family of God. Father, we pray that you would bless this summer's trip to Ecuador. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Revelation chapter 6. Our last passage in chapter 6 It is not the seventh seal, it's the sixth seal. There is a break between the sixth and seventh seal. There are seven seals on that scroll. Today is the sixth. If you've not been here following along with what's going on in Revelation, we would would encourage you strongly, beg you really, to go back and catch up of what's going on in chapter six with these seals. In short, chapters four and five of Revelation are a scene of heaven, and he sees a throne in the middle of heaven, and he sees one seated on the throne. These are just big, simple, God and God, glorious truths of Christianity, that all of heaven centers on the throne of God and God sitting there, and that is important. And you'll remember weeks ago in that sermon, I said, if heaven centers on a throne, then your life should be centered on a throne and the one seated on the throne. But chapter five tells us that the one seated on the throne is holding a a scroll, and the scroll is sealed up, and there's nobody worthy to open the seals, to open the scroll, nobody worthy to approach the throne. And so there was weeping in heaven, They were wondering, what's now? What's next? And then they see Christ, the lion and the lamb. And he approaches the throne and takes the scroll and begins to open the seals. This is what chapter six is about, and this is what we are studying. 
In so many ways, all of the seals are a type of judgment. They are a way of history unfolding. They are a way of showing us what history is like, particularly from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. And the opening of these seals and the revealing of what's written on the scroll is what is being played out in the world from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. We've got the first four seals, what were the four horsemen, Then last week, we've got the fifth seal, which were the martyrs, those who had been killed for the cause of Christ and killed for the word of God, crying out in prayer to God. A little bit longer, there are more. There will be more martyrs. There will be more that will faithfully witness to the truth of God before that day comes. And then today, we get to the sixth seal, the end of chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. Read with me at Revelation 6, verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, And hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? This isn't a passage or a sermon that should have a lot of jokes with it. This is not a laughing matter. And Christianity is built on truth. And I hope you've lived long enough to know that there are some hard truths in life. Our first point this morning is that the judgment of God is coming. The judgment of God is coming. If you're a kid using a listening page, that's point number one. I really, making that first point, we now sound old-fashioned or traditional or old school. We sound like we're an old-time religion and we've lost track of the times. We're no longer modern and certainly not postmodern. But in case you're one of those that's still trying to keep up with the times, it is our desire to be faithful to the truth more than we would ever want to be in line with the times. If God says a judgment is coming, then we are getting prepared for a judgment that is coming. When the sixth seal is opened, we get a scene that is a description of a judgmental scene. Now, we sometimes get all wrapped up in, wow, what's it mean if the moon's going to be like blood, it's going to be red, and every time there's a cool sunset, you're like, I think it's red, right? And yet, we can kind of lose what's happening here. What's being described in the Bible is a judgment scene, and this is common. I want to show you. Turn over to chapter 8. Verse 5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Turn over to chapter 11, verse 13. 
And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Same chapter, verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Turn over to chapter 16, 16, 18. 16:18 and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. Now we turn back to chapter 6. What I'm wanting you all to see and understand from this is not for us to get so wrapped up in what does a great earthquake look like or what does the sun becoming black and the moon becoming blood like look like or stars falling in the sky look like, but rather for us to see that they're describing judgment. And we haven't gotten there yet. I keep mentioning the timeline. The timeline in Revelation is so important, it's so critical to understand. And just like we just saw four or five different passages of another earthquake, you're not to think like, wow, we're about to come up on a day where there's going to be a judgment and an earthquake and another judgment and an earthquake. They're all describing in many ways the same thing. And the book of Revelation keeps telling us about the same thing over and over again in a different, more closer, more closely examined perspective. But we're not really there yet. Today we're at the sixth of the seven seals. And it is saying to us that God's judgment is coming. Verse 14 says, The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. This judgment that is coming is also the end of the world. If the first five seals being opened is description of judgment coming in the world, in the world, this sixth seal is describing the judgment coming at the end of the world. The day is coming. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you're familiar with time and time again, it's saying the day of the Lord and the great day of the Lord and the day of often have these, these judgment scenes are found throughout the Old Testament. And we often have equated the, the, the coming day of God and the, the day of judgment from God as parts of things and parts of events that have happened in history where God has come and dealt mightily in a situation and judged here or judged there and done something. What we have in Revelation here at the end is the same type of language and description. The day, which is also in the New Testament, referring to the return of Christ, returning, referring to the judgment day. And so what we have is that the Old Testament has served us so well that the day of judgment that's happened many times before in smaller specific settings now serves us well to see that the day of judgment is coming. And it won't just be on this nation or it won't just be on that sin. It will be the whole world. He opens the seal and he sees huge. The judgment of God is coming. Now, some people think well, there's something wrong with God if he's gonna come back and judge us. But I want you to know that judgment is good if there's been offense, right? If there has been injustice, then we want judgment. I certainly hope so. If there has been wrong done, then we want justice. We want judgment done. And we all get that, right? We all get that. If they accidentally triple charged your credit card, you want them to make it right. You want justice and judgment done right there, right? And that's a small scale example. We all want justice and we all want judgment in a certain way. God tells us that he's a judge, a righteous judge. And God tells us that judgment is coming. So what's the wrong? 
We have to be careful here because where the whole world is really, really off and inaccurate and and struggling to assess this is when we all think subjectively that we will be the standard of what's right or wrong, that loses focus, that misses the point, and so then we're not sure if he's even a judge or if he is a judge, how will he judge? We all know that judgment and justice is a good thing. We certainly want it for ourselves, right? If you park your car in the parking lot and somebody hits you and messes it up really badly and they just leave, you're mad about that. They wronged you and you wish so badly that you could get that fixed. You want them to admit it, right? And we can come up with tons of examples, some that are way worse than that. Well, God is just and he's a judge, And so the issue then becomes, okay, what is he going to judge? And what is actually right or wrong or offensive or unjust or unjust? And that is where I want you to hear from the truth of God in what is good Christian teaching that God is the one who's determined that. You don't determine if God's going to judge you or not. And you don't determine if God's going to judge them or not. You don't determine if God's going to judge for that or not for that. We don't get to determine that. We are not the standard of right and wrong. He is. And he's good at it, much better at it than us. One of the obvious factors of our world is how bad we are at dealing with injustice. There's favoritism everywhere you turn. And then with God, there is no favoritism. He only does what's right. He's so incredibly fair. If it's coming for you, it's coming for you. If you're in right and true, if you deserve it, you'll get it. He is fair and right and true and just always. And he has told us, he's helped us see that he's good and we've sinned against his goodness. He's told us that he loves us and that we don't love him. He's told us that he made us to worship him and he's pointed it out to us that we're not worshiping him. We'll worship anything that he's created, we just won't worship the creator. He's shown this to us. And with more patience than any of us have, he's being patient on bringing the judgment. When the New Testament was written 2,000 years ago, they were praying, how much longer? Good grief, we're over here suffering. How much longer, God? And 2,000 years later, we're still here. He's that patient. He's not quick to judge. We're quick to judge. He's not. There's a whole world of people out there that have God wrong, and they say that he's wrong, that he's going to judge, and he's wrong, that he's judgmental and all that, and they just don't think about life rightly. They haven't thought for a second that he's a good judge. They won't dare admit that some things need to be judged. We certainly don't want to humble ourselves to the point of saying, I deserve to be judged. But inconsistent with what the Bible says, the judgment of God is coming. Specifically, it is coming with the second coming of Christ, the return of of Jesus. Turn back with me to Matthew 24, the passage that I read earlier. The timeline is critical, and I want you to see this. I want you to see how incredibly similar this is. These are the words of Jesus. This is the teaching of Jesus. These words are coming out of Jesus' mouth in Matthew 24. And I want you to see how similar it is to what we have just read in Revelation 6 on the sixth seal. Immediately, Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. I'll stop there because my second point will include the rest of it. Verse 31 says, and he will gather 
or they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. According to Jesus in Matthew 24, after the tribulation, Christ will return, and that will be it. The judgment will come right then. If you look back at Revelation chapter 6, this is a similar thing that we see being described, that the judgment of God is coming. Now, what will lead us into my second two points here this morning is one of the heavy things about judgment is that Those that want it, love it, appreciate it. And those that don't, they hate it. They don't want it to happen. Whether it's the teacher that stepped out of the classroom and the class is kind of going crazy and you don't know when she's coming back in, right? The student that's actually still at his desk and doing the assignment is thinking, good grief, I hope she comes back soon. And yet the kids that are up going crazy are the kids that, I hope she doesn't come back now. Whether it's the kids that throw a party when the parents are gone for the weekend, hoping that the parents don't come back early, or it's the one kid that's gone out and stayed away from it. One is thinking, I hope they come back and tear them up. And the other's thinking, I hope they don't come back and catch us doing this. That's the way judgment works. And we all know this. If you're going down to Gene Snyder and you're going the speed limit and there's a cop behind you, you don't have anything to worry about. And you're like, I'll just get over and let him pass me. But if you're flying down the Snyder way faster than you're supposed to, as soon as you see that cop behind you, you're doing everything you can. You're putting your seatbelt on, acting like you've been wearing it the whole time. You're changing lanes. You're hitting the brakes. You're getting it together. You're 10 and 2. You even turn the radio down like that helps to try to do everything good. And all it was was a cop behind you. Hey, in judgment, some people have something to worry about and some people don't have anything to worry about. That's the nature of judgment. It's the way it is with a judge. But make no mistake, the Bible, the eternal true word of God, the Bible wasn't written for a certain generation. The Bible wasn't written for a certain era. The Bible was written for everybody of all time. The Bible is God revealing himself to us. And the Bible says judgment is coming. What I want you to hear today is that I know you love judgment when you are certain that it's right and in your favor. I know you do. Today I want you to hear that the judgment of God is coming and for you to see that it's good and for you to wake up to it and you, number two, for it. Number one, the judgment of God is coming. Number two, some will hate the return of Christ. This is not a laughing matter. This should break your heart. Some will hate it. In Revelation chapter six, I had been talking about the first uh, 12 through 14, but now I want you to look at verse 15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? What a description of the various people in the world 
from many walks of life. The high and important people, the successful people, the wealthy people, the powerful people, the educated people, the significant people, if those are even real categories. And then this amazing summary word, everyone, everyone, everyone. Some will hate the return of Christ. Because when Christ returns, he will return to judge the world. And he will return to save the world. Even him. Saves those who are being saved is that they love him, they believe in him. They want him. They can't wait to see him. They long for him. They pray, how long, Lord? I wish you'd come back today. I had somebody text me this week knowing the heaviness of heart that they carry that I can't wait for heaven. Believers who know that Christ is the savior of the world, who know that he's the satisfaction of all desires and all that your heart longs for, that he is the peace that surpasses all understanding. Believers know that the best thing in the world is to be with God. And so God, hurry up, come back to us, take us to you. But for all that do not believe in who Christ is and what Christ has done as Lord and savior, as king and master, they will hate it. They will hate it with the biggest of hate, with the largest of fears. It's a description here in Revelation that's hard for us to grasp. Running into a cave and crying out to a cave to collapse on you so that you do not face God. What that tells us is that they don't understand God in all the ways that God wants them to understand him. Because they did not understand God to be a judge then, they sadly, quickly have come to see God as a judge in that moment, which means they had just come to know God as a judge and that they didn't know God as a savior. But Christian teaching and preaching and the benefit of showing up to a faithful church is that you are taught today that he is a judge. But you're not here crying and scared to death because you know that the judge is also a loving savior who has sent his son to die under the wrath of God so you don't have to. When he comes in judgment with his wrath, it will only be fearful and hate because they don't know that he loves them and has sent his son to save them. They don't know him. And so they're blindsided by it. They're taken back for it. You might say they weren't ready for it. They weren't prepared for it. The gospels teach us that the, thief, that, that, that the return of Christ will come like a thief in the night. And the Bible tells us to stay awake, meaning you don't know when he's coming. That if you're asleep and you're not paying attention, it'll come back and surprise you. Well, here today, you're being told that Christ will return to judge the world, and there will be a lot of people in that moment that will hate it. Notice, kings, great ones, generals, rich, powerful. You need to hear today that those things do not get you anywhere with God. I hope you're educated it doesn't do anything for you in the glory of God. I hope you are successful and you've got money to pay your bills, but it doesn't do anything before you in the presence of God. That's why we often remind ourselves that there are no U-Hauls behind a hearse on the way to the cemetery. That's why we remind ourselves with however much we have in our bank account that we cannot take it with us. That's why we remind ourselves in our hobbies and in our collections, our car collections or our shoe collections or our stamp collections or our Beanie Baby collections or whatever you collect, you're not going to care about that when it's over. Keep it in perspective. I'm all for hobbies. I got hobbies too. But make sure you keep perspective that one day this is going to matter to you and those won't. Live now remembering this. 
Imagine being a king with people underneath you and being so incredibly wrong about the Savior coming back. Imagine being a general that commands people what to do and yet being so incredibly wrong. Imagine being rich and powerful and yet being so incredibly wrong about the return of Christ. Imagine living this life as if God's not the judge where you can do whatever you want with no accountability to the God that loves you and made you. That is wrong. And when Christ comes back, you will hate the return of Christ. This is to get our attention. This is to not to be a, a fear tactic. I'm not trying to get y'all baptized because you're so scared of meeting the judge. We are wanting to warn you of the wrath to come. We are wanting you to hear that sin against God is a bad thing and judgment upon sin is a good thing. But it is a scary sight that it gives us here that people will be crying out Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And the great day of their wrath has come. Describing their Lamb as wrathful is an interesting use of words, isn't it? Didn't we just talk in Revelation 5 about the strength of the lion? The conquering lion and the slain lamb? That's the description in Revelation 5. And that's what we often talk about. The, the, the lion is the one who is strong and nobody says what he does and he's in charge and he can kill anybody, do anything stronger than everybody. He's not afraid of anybody. But he's also the slain lamb and they, they killed him for our sins. But here, perhaps John as a master too are saying the wrath of the lamb. Don't get it twisted. These two are the same. The lion's got wrath, but the lamb's got wrath. But perhaps he says it that way as one yet reminder, sweet, precious, beautiful, good reminder that the lamb coming in wrath is able to say, I took the wrath. I'm bringing wrath, but I took the wrath. The lamb that brings the wrath in that day it's the same lamb that took the wrath for you on that day when Christ was killed. May you never think of the judgment of God on people, on sin, on this world without also thinking about the judgment of God upon Jesus that day. If you're gonna talk about God, talk about him accurately. If you're gonna represent God, represent him faithfully, honestly, truthfully. Because the world is full of people talking about him in a wrong, inaccurate, negative sense, and they will not allow him to speak for themselves. The wrath of God is a real category, but the wrath of God that hasn't yet been poured out on any of this sinful world has already been poured out on God himself. Tell me, is that not awesome? Merciful, gracious, rich in love, slow to anger. Let the world say all of the ridiculous hot takes that they have on God that are not true and let God speak for himself. Yes, the wrath of God is coming in judgment, but the wrath of God has already judged his son for us. Greater love has nobody than this, that he died for you. And you would be wrong and misled to neglect it, to ignore it, to not believe it, to not embrace it. You would be wrong today to not surrender your life and say, Christ, thank you for taking my judgment. And yet there will be people, and they will hate the return of Christ. Again, now this is consistent with what the New Testament teaches us over and over again. Again, I know this makes us sound old-fashioned and traditional and all that, but we're okay with whatever labels people want to give us as long as we're faithful to the Word of God. Amen? And... I skipped at Matthew 24, verse 30. 
Okay, but I'm talking here about my second point. Some will hate the return of Christ. But look what verse 30 says in Matthew 24. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And look at this. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. All the tribes of earth will mourn. People everywhere. When I think of tribes, you know what I think of? East end, south end, west end. Y'all were thinking about people groups in third world countries, weren't you? I think about Democrats and Republicans, and I think about all the tribes that we've got around here, but I also think about the people in third world countries on all seven continents with all the different languages. The point the book of Revelation is trying to make and the point that Jesus was making there in Matthew 24 is that everybody everywhere will see the return of Christ and everybody everywhere that does not love Jesus will hate the return of Christ. This is what we're seeing in the sixth seal in Revelation 6, but I want you to turn back to the very beginning of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, and I want you to see that in the opening, kind of introductory, kind of setting the tone for how this uh, fascinating book will go, I want you to see that that has already been described. Look at chapter 1. Starting in the middle of verse five there. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made ever and ever priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Look at verse seven. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. We see it throughout the Bible. We see the epistles look forward to the return of Christ. We see Christ telling us about the return of Christ. We see Revelation telling us again and again about the return of Christ. And we see that there will be people that don't want it. I remember a quote from an old movie that often said, is that where you want to be when Jesus comes back? That's a good question, isn't it? If you're at home abusing your family, abusing your wife, is that where you want to be when Christ comes back, when he makes it right? If you're cheating on your wife, sleeping with somebody else, unfaithful, but yet nobody knows? Is that where you want to be when Christ comes back? If you're a liar, can't keep your word, say anything to anybody in any setting just to be able to get your way and push you in favor, is that where you want to be when Christ comes back? If you're a hateful racist and still holding on to racist judgments toward people, when Revelation is showing us over and over again that God loves every, people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, is that where you want to be when Christ comes back? But he's coming when no one expect it, expects it. He's coming like a thief in the night. And Revelation warns us here today that there will be some who hate the return of Christ. And what is really an all odds judging? They are choosing to die, die from some other means than God's judgment. They are hoping for that. Some will hate it. But lastly, And to God be the glory and praise to his amazing grace. And we worship him because his grace is greater than all of our sin. Number three, some will love the return of Christ. Now chapter six doesn't say this. Chapter six doesn't say this. But I mentioned last week that in just a a fascinating literature, the six seals opened in chapter six are bookended 
by a vision of the lamb and salvation in chapter 5 and a vision of the lamb and salvation in chapter 7. It's just brilliantly written. One would think, okay, we just saw heaven and the lamb and the throne and the salvation and all that and every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That's chapter 5. But we've moved on to that now. We're into the seals and we're more on judgment. And you know, I'm kind of more fascinated by the judgment anyway. And before it's even finished, chapter 7 basically says the same thing that chapter 5 says. In other words, the mercy of God wants us to get the mercy of God. God doesn't ever want us to be more in all of him being a judge than we are of him being a savior. Both things are accurate and good and true. Yes, he's a judge, and yes, he's a savior. So, some will love the return of Christ. And you see this because chapter 7 says that there are lots of people that will be saved by him. The judgment will be good for them. Think about that. And that's exactly how judgment works. In every court case, you're waiting for the judge to tell us what the ruling is, and one side's going to like it, and one side's going to not like it, right? Right? And yet that's all based off whether the judge is true or not true. Always right. You never have to worry about a bad judge or a false judge or an unfair judge. He's always right and true. And so when the judge comes back to judge, everybody that knows him will say yes. And everybody that doesn't know him will be like, oh, no. There will be people that love the return of Christ. And this is so consistent with what the New Testament teaches too throughout Longing for the day. Turn with me to the very, very end of Revelation. Last page of your Bible. Last page of your Bible. Revelation 22. This is how the Bible ends. So chapter 6 is telling us this, but this is what it tells us. At chapter 22, verse 7 you hear him say, and behold, I am coming soon. At chapter 22, verse 12, you hear him say, behold, I am coming soon. But look at verse 17, 22, 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. You know who the bride is? The church. That's consistent throughout the New Testament. The bride of Christ is the church, it's the believers. And the bride in the end of the, of the Bible is saying, come. And look what it says next. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one that's thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. There is a longing in this life for those who love God that want it all to be over and done with. Let's end sin, let's end evil, let's end it all, and we can't, God will. And so we long for the return of Christ, justice and salvation, and make all things right, all things clear, all things transparent, make all things the way they're supposed to be, God. We long for that. And so it ends, the very, very end, verse 20. Revelation 22, 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely Lord, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It's the heart of the redeemed. It's the heart of the saved. Now, I want to point you out, and this, I want to point this out to you, and this is neat and, and, and interesting and encouraging. The prayer of the martyrs in the fifth seal, which is up at verse 10 of chapter 6, is answered in the sixth seal. The prayer that says, verse 10, chapter 6, verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That's the prayer. How long, God? How much longer? That prayer will be answered in the end, in the judgment at the return of Christ. And for all who have given their lives for the truthfulness of God and for the worthiness of Christ, all who have sacrificed their lives for the witness of the glory of God will love the return of Christ because it will be a beautiful justice in that moment. They will love the return of Christ. I want to ask you to turn with me real quick to Hebrews 9. We're going to look at two passages, and then we're done. Hebrews chapter 9. 
some will love the return of Christ. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And just as it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment... Actually, I hear a lot of pages turn, and I'll stop for a second. Y'all find it. Hebrews 9, 27 and judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, <coughs> so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. <coughs> Does everybody see that? There's a category of people who are eagerly waiting for him. What a heart. What a desire. What a longing. What a longing. If your sin is real to you, or if your suffering from injustice in this world is real to you, you don't have any problem understanding, come Lord Jesus. Now this is a characteristic of the followers of Christ. If your sin is real to you, offensive to God, problematic in your life, in your spiritual life, and if the injustices of this world are real to you, you experience them in suffering, you observe it in the world in suffering and evil being done, if those things are real to you, you aren't doubting this one bit. It is your heart's desire. Come, Lord Jesus, knowing that he has already taken the wrath of God for you. Your life is believing. Your life is repenting, finalizing in him. You are longing for the salvation that Christ has given you and that he will finalize and complete when he returns. But if you don't think sin's bad, if you make excuses, you don't think the world's all that bad, you don't think the injustices are that bad, you're not worried about the return of Christ. You don't look for it, you don't expect it, and therefore you probably hate it when it comes. One last passage, John chapter five. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter five, and we'll be done. Last Sunday I said I'll get you out here early for Mother's Day, and I didn't, and I heard about it all week. This week, for the Sunday after Mother's Day, get you out of here early. Last passage right here, John chapter five. These are the words of Jesus himself talking about his authority. These are the words of Jesus himself talking about his authority. John chapter five, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. <clears throat> that all may honor the Son. Does everybody see that? He's given judgment to the Lord Jesus Christ so that everybody would honor him. Your life should honor Jesus just as they honor the Father. Whoever does, truly I say to you, the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly I say to you, 
Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. But here's what I want you to see right here. Underline this. He does not come into judgment. Does everybody see that? There is a way. There is a way for you to miss that judgment. There is a way for you to avoid the caves and avoid the mountains and avoid the basements and avoid everything else that you may think you're gonna hide from God from. It's the mercy of God through the Lord Jesus Christ who loves you and gave himself for you. Christ died and took the wrath of God and if you'll repent and believe it, you will escape the judgment. You will miss the judgment and you will love his return. You'll say, he's coming to get me. He's coming to get me. You'll love the return of Christ. John 5, 24 says, whoever believes does not come into judgment. Very little story today, very little laughter today. The judgment of God is coming. Some people will hate it. Some people will love it. May it never be. I feel this as deep in my bones as I feel anything. May it never be that you think, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't my church tell me? Why didn't you tell me to stop? Why didn't you tell me to turn? Why didn't you tell me to get home? May it never be that the kids growing up in our home think, nobody told me. May it never be that the kids growing up in this church are gonna say, nobody ever told me. May we be those who believe what God has said, and are ready for it. Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Revelation and these six seals. God, we don't want to act flippant about the judgment of God. We don't want to act like we're the judges with the hammer and being judgmental. But we do want to herald and proclaim your truth. Father, use us to help people be ready. May we love that Christ died for us. Help us with that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.